0: All right. Good evening, everybody. Well, it felt like it was like noon there for a little while, the way the sun was coming in. I'll take that. All right. So we are going to be in um, Isaiah 30 tonight. Um, I'm sure this has happened to you, but you ever give someone a task... Uh, and they manage to get so much of it wrong that you're like, there's no way you listened to what I said. Right? You can't be that incompetent. You just didn't pay attention to what I said. If you have kids, then especially, you know, right? That That's a regular occurrence. Uh, I, a couple of my kids will actually start walking out of the room as I'm still giving instructions. And I'm like, no, that's not how that works, you know. And I don't know. I I ran into that a couple times over the last couple days with with my kids, and it just reminded me of uh, <laughs> probably how God feels with us, right? That even while He's still trying to tell us, we're like, yeah, yeah, we got it, and then we go and you know mess it up. So we're going to see a little bit of that happen tonight in our in our main text. Looks like we have uh, mostly uh, folks that are here on a regular basis, but if not, or if you're listening online, uh, we're. Almost midway through Isaiah, um, in chapter 29, we saw God had rebuked uh, the Jews for being um, you know, being far from him while they still observed all of the traditions. So they were going through the motions, but their heart wasn't in the right place. Uh, and so he's just going to kind of keep that train of thought, and he's gonna, we're going to see another one of the, the woes that he presents from chapter 28 to 35. So, okay, all that said, let's pray and then we'll get to it. Lord, thank you for uh, bringing us together tonight, giving us a place to worship and uh, the means to do so. Thank you for preserving your word. Um, and Lord, we just pray that uh, you would, uh, you would calm our, our hearts tonight, our spirits, and help us to, uh, to just sense your presence, to, to know you better through this message. Uh, there's a lot of noise in the world, and for this next few minutes, Lord, we want to be able to focus on you and your voice. We pray that you help us uh, make that happen. Pray for your blessing on the message and your people, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Isaiah 30, verse 1. He says, woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord. And here, here's what got me thinking about that who execute a plan, but not mine. Right? I've, I've seen that with my, with my kids, right? Like, you did a thing. It wasn't the thing I said to do, but you did do something, you know. He says, uh, woe to these uh, rebellious children who execute a plan, but not mine. And they make an alliance, but not of my spirit, in order to add sin to sin. So they've they've made some decisions, they've made some partnerships, some arrangements, without him being a part of any of it. Verse 2, he says, Who proceed down to Egypt without consulting me, to take refuge in the safety of Pharaoh, and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. So, what you know, what an insult to God, right? The of all the places you're gonna go for help, you didn't bother to ask me, you're gonna go to the place that I set you free from. Right? And that really hits home to me because I, I know I still do this. Right? There are uh when I'm stressed or whatever, I sometimes go to things that he's set me free from rather than turning to him. Um, you know. A bag of Doritos helps calm my mind. <laughs> Not so much, but, but I think we all, we all do that. We all get that, I, you know, the, the, uh, the concept there. So, again, just a little recap. Remember, this is a, a period of history when Israel is split into uh, two different kingdoms. There's uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, or Samaria, and then there's the southern kingdom where Jerusalem is, and that's the kingdom of Judah. That's where Isaiah is, is prophesying from, where he's doing most of his work. And so the Jews in, in his kingdom, in Judah, they know that the Assyrians, they're the big bad guy in, in Isaiah's writing. Uh, Assyrians were conquering their brethren to the north, right? They, the northern kingdom is getting whipped while Isaiah is writing this stuff. And so they go, well, we need a plan to deal with the Assyrians. And so they send some ambassadors uh, down to Egypt. And they take a large caravan with riches, And well, we'll see, in order to establish, you know, like a diplomatic alliance. Verse 3, it says, Therefore, the safety of Pharaoh will be your shame, in the shelter, in the shadow of Egypt, your humiliation." So, you know, in other words, this thing you're turning to is, is going to blow up in your face. Verse four, says, for the princes are at Zoan, and their ambassadors arrive at Hanes." Now, these are both cities in Egypt. So they are places that they traveled to, you know, make this arrangement. And I just think it's, it's, so, it's so interesting because these, here's what those two cities, what their names mean. Zoan means grace has fled, and Hanes is place of departure, and God's like, oh, so you're going to go, you're going to depart from me and my grace in order to make this deal, you know, right? I don't think that's a coincidence, but anyway, verse 5 says, everyone will be ashamed because of a people who cannot profit them, who are not for help or profit, but for shame and also for reproach. So, you know, again, this, this arrangement is going to work for a little while, but it's going to end badly, is, is the point. And then verse 6, he says, The oracle concerning the beasts of the Negev. Remember, the Negev was like the, uh, like the desert, the wilderness. Uh, it wasn't all desert, but it was, you know, it was the wild. He says, Through a land of distress and anguish, from where come lioness and lion... Viper and flying serpent. They carry their riches on the backs of young donkeys and their treasures on camels' humps to a people who cannot profit them. Even Egypt, whose help is vain and empty. Therefore I have called her Rahab, who has been exterminated. It's a confusing couple of verses. But here's, here's uh, the gist of it, right? They, they sent this diplomatic mission over to Egypt, you know, they're trying to make a deal for protection. So in order to do that, they've got to make it worth Egypt's while, right? So they need to send some riches, some treasure to Egypt. But they've got to do it secretly so that the Assyrians don't catch on to what's happening. So they can't travel along the main Route That most people would take, you know, where most caravans would go. So they, they go through the Negev, through the, you know, dangerous area. A place, Isaiah says, is full of lions, vipers. And then he mentions flying serpent. What's a flying serpent? Right, we don't, we don't have those, right? I don't, I don't think. Maybe in Australia. Australia's got all kinds of weird things. Well, it's a, I think the closest we could come... Fitting that description would be probably a dragon, right? Well, here's the thing. In verse 7, he says, uh, whose Egypt, whose help is in vain and empty, therefore I have called her Rahab, who has been exterminated. Rahab is the name of this mythological water dragon uh, that supposedly like guards the border of Egypt. And it was, it was uh, basically synonymous with Egypt. You know, that was, if you talked about Rahab, you were talking about Egypt. And he says, Rahab who has been exterminated, or your Bible may say, Rahab sitting still, or Rahab the do-nothing, or their strength is to sit still. It's a really confusing phrasing in the Hebrew. But the point is that you're going to put your confidence in this dragon, and this dragon is a do-nothing, right? It's not, Egypt is not going to be the, the, the deliverance that you're seeking. Verse 8, it says, Now go, write it on a tablet before them and inscribe it on a scroll that it may serve in the time to come as a witness forever. Well, here we are, almost 3,000 years later, right? Isaiah did what he was told. He went and he wrote it down, and we're reading it uh, in the time to come, right? Paul says, we are those upon whom the ends of the age have come, right? And all, we talked about that last week, that almost everything in the Old Testament is there for your benefit, right? So much of what happens in the Old Testament was to teach us, about uh, about Jesus, and it's it's I don't know. I, I think it's interesting that um, sometimes I'll talk with people, and they'll you know they'll have a problem with some things that happen in the Bible. And, I, and understandably, there's some terrible things that happen in the Bible, but people kind of miss the point. Uh, you know, like the, I've heard people say, "Oh, so." you know god thinks it's okay for you to have 700 wives like solomon and i'm like no that happened and it was so weird that they wrote it down in the bible you know that that was a big weird strange thing right that was not ever what god what god's intention or will for us was so so many of the things that happen in there um you know are are we can't always assume that, um, uh, you know, those mir- the miraculous things or weird signs and stuff are just everyday things. No, they're not. They're amazing things, and that's why they got written down. And so God tells Isaiah, write this down. I've got some stuff coming for you. Verse 9, he says, For this is a rebellious people, false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord. In other words, he says, These. You're, you're, you're no son of mine, right? You're not acting like one of my kids. Verse 10, who say to the seers, you must not see visions. And to the prophets, you must not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us pleasant words. Prophesy illusions. Get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. That's what God's children were doing at the time. Made me think of that song. Um, what is it? Uh, tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies. You know, that's uh, that's what they were. That's what they wanted. They wanted to tell me what I want to hear, not what I need to hear. And again, Paul tells us this is something that is not unique to Isaiah's time. But he says it's going to increase. In the last days, as we get nearer and nearer to the end. Uh, in 2 Timothy 4, and he talks about this in a couple different places, but here uh, he says this. He says, I solemnly charge you, he's talking to Timothy, his young protege, right? I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, oh, here's the hard part, with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths, but you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. I think we all know what uh we can all think of a certain type of teacher or preacher that Paul might be referring to, right, but it's a temptation for anyone who teaches or does public speaking because you want uh, you want to be received you want to be liked right you don't want people just glaring at you and can't stand to the side of your face you know um and statistically uh people retain a roughly 15 percent of what is presented in a public forum like this so you're going to retain about 15 percent of what i say uh you know so i want it to be good right i want it to be uplifting and encouraging But I do do not, I don't tailor my sermons uh, so as not to offend. Um, But I I do try to speak the truth in love, right? Because that was, you notice he threw that in there, with great patience. And the truth is, is that, uh, you know, the gospel does not ever promise you that you will be healthy, wealthy, and wise. You know, that, uh, uh, that, you're always going to be blessed all the time and all that you know, nonsense you hear from some of the television preachers. What the Bible does tell us is that man is hopelessly lost in sin. Right, we, we fall short of what God requires of us, and because of that, that sin has to be dealt with. And so no, no matter what my preference is, no matter how I feel, God's Word is the standard of truth, right? So, if He says it's something He doesn't want me to do, and I do it, what's that called? That's sin, right? If it's something He tells me He wants me to do, and I won't do it, that's sin. No matter how I feel about it. No matter what my personal preference is. Because we like to excuse our sin, right? We... uh, we say, well, that's just how I am, right? I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't want to greet people. I'm not, I'm just not that way. Well, you should be, you know. I don't want to spend time with people. I just want to be alone. Well, too bad, because that's the thing that God says is not good. Jesus calls us, not to just do what comes naturally, but to live supernaturally, right? That was one of the big points of his ministry was I'm calling you to something bigger and better. And so if you, you know, you have a predilection to a certain type of sin, you have a, um, a tendency that you, you feel like oh, I've just always been this way, I get it. Everyone has something that they're more prone to. But it doesn't change the fact that if God says it's sin, it's sin. So it could be that maybe he's just calling you to, uh, to be uncomfortable and not do the thing that you feel tempted or, or naturally to do. And that's not a popular message in today's world. Because Jesus, he came to die on a cross and take the penalty for my sins and the sins of the whole world. And there's only one name under heaven by which men are saved. Uh, you know, I put my trust in the work That Jesus did on the cross. And because of that. Because I believe in him. And in the word. And what he did. I have an uh, eternal intimate relationship with him. That is what I believe to be true. Because it's what the gospel teaches. And that is the message that very often. Does not get spoken. The fact that hey that thing you like to do. It actually is sin. And you shouldn't do it. You know. Um, anyway, Romans 3 says that uh, we should let God be true and every man a liar. So, actually, I'm going to take you here. 1 Peter 3, verse 15. Because all that being said, all, you know, it's tempting, to, you know, you want to preach the gospel, you want to speak the truth, you want to point, you know, help people turn from sin, all of that. But Peter... And I think it's wonderful that Peter is the one who says this, because Peter had a, f- a foot-shaped mouth, right? He was always putting his foot in his mouth, saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. But even he understood this. He says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks uh, asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with what? With gentleness and reverence or respect, your, your, your Bible may say. Look, if, it, you know, if you're talking with someone who is maybe involved in, you know, a, a, a cult, it's tempting to right away point out how stupid that is, and I can't believe you'd follow this guy as a false teacher, and, you know, and you tear down this person that they're following. That's not respectful. That's not gentle. And that will not probably win that person. Uh, you know, if they're going to be offended, let it be. You know, the offensive standard of, of the gospel of, of Jesus. You know, let it be uh, the message of Jesus that offends them, and not you attacking the thing that you know they're uh, into. But anyway, Isaiah thirty verse twelve. I'll get off my soapbox. It says therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel: Since you have rejected this word and have put your trust in oppression and guile and have relied on them, therefore this iniquity will be to you like a breach about to fall, a bulge in a high wall, whose collapse comes suddenly in an instant, whose collapse is like the smashing of a potter's jar, so ruthlessly shattered that a sherd will not be found among its pieces to take fire from a hearth or to scoop water from a cistern. I underline that in my outline, that word sherd, because I was like, is that a typo? Or am I mis- misunderstanding this? So I, had to, I went way too deep down this rabbit hole. But um, a shard is a piece of anything. A sherd is a, spe- it's a specific word, it is, it's a piece of pottery found at an archaeological site. Sherd and shard are not quite the same thing. And he specifically uses this word. He says that all this stuff is going to fall, and it's not just going to blow up in your face a little bit. It's, it's going to be devastating to where like, we're digging up the, the scraps of, of, uh, you know, of this plan. Verse 15, For thus the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, In repentance and rest you will be saved. And quietness and trust is your strength. But you were not willing. All right, he says, just turn back to me and quit your scheming. Now, are you willing to listen to God's ideas? Because His children at that time weren't. He says, in repentance and rest... You will be saved in quietness, and trust is your strength. We may come back to that. Verse 16, he says, And you said, No, for we will flee on horses. They're like, Yeah, that's a great plan, God, but we have a better plan. We're just going to get a bunch of horses. right?" And they, they can't capture what you can't catch. right? Uh, Therefore, you shall flee, and, and we will ride on swift horses. Therefore, those who pursue you shall be swift. Again, this is just comical, right? Because they they went to Egypt to make a deal and to get a bunch of horses, which is, you know, that was a a weapon at the time, right? That was, you know, the army that had more horses won. Problem is, in Deuteronomy 17, back when Moses and, and Aaron are still running things, God specifically told them, hey, don't ever go back to Egypt, and especially don't go buy horses from them. So they went, got it, go back to Egypt, buy more horses, right? Verse 17, 1,000 will flee at the threat of one man. You will flee at the threat of five, until you are left as a flag on a mountaintop and as a signal on a hill. See, God had promised his people that one of the benefits of walking close with him was was you know victory over their enemies, and that they you know they would not be, um, they would have no need to be fearful because no weapon formed against you will stand, and all that. Uh, in Leviticus twenty six, Isaiah is kind of playing on this this verse. This is what God had told the people in Leviticus, uh, verse eight, twenty six, verse eight says, Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand. All your enemies will fall beneath your sword." Right? He was like. If you're with me, five of you is going to be bigger than a hundred, right? Because, uh, you know, you plus me is is a majority against anyone else. But now that they've strayed, the tables are turned, right? They've lost that confidence that comes from being close to dad. Isaiah 30, verse 18. It says, therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. He's, he's for you, not against you. Right? He's, w- just, he's just waiting for you to quit your scheming. And 2 Peter I don't know it's three, I don't know it's eight or nine, but he you know, he says that uh, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you, wishing for all to come to repentance. he He doesn't want ill for you. he wants the best for you, but there's a, there'll be a day when he stops waiting uh, and when everything is is brought to a head. So this next section, as we get into it, we're going to run into a common theme in Isaiah's writing as is he does these dual fulfillment things, right? He'll talk about something that had a short-term fulfillment. This is how it's going to happen in my, our lifetime, but in the far future, it's going to apply this way. And so he's going to describe a f- you know, near future for Israel as well as far future you know, when they turn to Jesus, but it, uh, there's a picture of how he deals with us and all this. So we'll, we'll go chapter 30, verse 19. He says, O people in Zion, inhabitant in Jerusalem, you will weep no longer. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. Although the Lord has given you bread of privation and water of oppression, in other words, though the Lord has allowed you to really and, you know, hit some hard times or a tribulation, right? He, your teacher, will no longer hide himself, but your eyes will behold your teacher. So he says, listen, kids, there's some hard times coming, but at the end of that, in the midst of those hard times, you're going to see me more clearly than you do right now. And I bet some of you have experienced that in your life, right? Where the hardest times are are tend to be the times we lean the hardest on God. I remember there was a period um, some time ago in our, our, my life where we just we'd lost some family members and a good friend, and had to move and cha- you know change jobs and all kinds of it's just it was a really hectic, chaotic time, and. Uh, one of the one of my good friends in the church called me just to check on me, and you know are you are you doing okay?" and I said, "Well, you know i 've actually never been closer to Jesus than I am right now because I was leaning on him harder than I'd ever had verse twenty one though he says "Your ears will hear a word behind you. this is the way. walk in it whenever you turn to the right or the left so he's describing this time when they can see." Jesus clearly, and they're going to hear his voice. Verse 22, and you will defile your graven images overlaid with silver, and your molten images plated with gold. You will scatter them as an impure thing. And then this, in the original language, is a menstruous cloth. I shouldn't need to explain that one, right? Impure thing is just a fine translation. We'll use that. But you'll, uh, you'll scatter them as an impure thing and say to them, be gone. So he says, during this time, you're going to get rid of all of your graven images, your molten images, all of your idols. Right. But when you quit taking the world's advice on your image and what you should be, uh, you start to think with a kingdom mindset. Right, Jesus said, "If you seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, all this other stuff will be added unto you." You know, get the first thing first. In the one hundred forty-fifth psalm, it, it says that He's near to all who call upon Him in truth. Like, you know, if you want to be closer to Him, He wants that for you too. And the more clear, the more clearly you see Jesus, the clearer you hear His voice. And the more you'll notice things in your life that uh, you thought you needed. And now you may see them as, you know, an anchor holding you back. The wording, though, in those couple of verses reminded me of uh, the first psalm, Psalm 1. I'm going to read a few verses here. It says, Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. You know, there's no better place to be, I think, than just modestly in the middle of his will. Just walking humbly with your God. We'll see if we can't wrap this up real quick. Isaiah 30, verse 23, it says, Then he will give you rain for the seed which you will sow in the ground, and bread from the yield of the ground, and it will be rich and plenteous. And On that day your livestock will graze in a roomy pasture. Also the oxen and the donkeys which work the ground will eat salted fodder, which has been winnowed with shovel and fork. On every lofty mountain and on every high hill there will be streams running with water. On the day of the great slaughter when the towers fall. So it's all this pretty language, and then you get that last little bit. Thing, basically, he says, you know, when Christ returns, I'm going to make set things right, but also I'm going to tear down the pillars of this world. You know, the, the great towers that, that we put so much trust in that are going to mean nothing then. Verse 26, it says, The light of the moon will be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun will be seven times brighter like the light of seven days on the day the Lord binds up the fracture of his people and heals the bruise he has inflicted. So this is a, he's uh, again referencing something that in Revelation is is fleshed out with a little more detail. Um, We'll actually skip, I had those verses in there, but you can read it in Revelation 16. It talks about this time when the the sun's going to be a lot hotter. I don't know if it's less atmosphere or what the deal is. But, um, but we're, we see that there's, there's going to be people that, in spite of all the miracles and the signs that God is, is working during that time, are still going to curse him and shake their fist at him. Read on verse 27. He says, Behold, the name of the Lord comes from a remote place, Burning is his anger, and dense is his smoke. His lips are filled with indignation, and his tongue is like a consuming fire. His breath is like an overflowing torrent which reaches to the neck to shake the nations back and forth in a sieve and put in the jaws of the people the bridle which leads to ruin. Verse 29. You, so he's talking about all these judgments and things that are coming, and then he reminds them, that's not for you. You, my children... God's people will have songs as in the night when you keep the festival and gladness of heart as when one marches to the sound of the flute to go to the mountain of the Lord to the rock of Israel. He says, look, when things are going all crazy, you should still be worshiping. You should still be praising because if you are one of mine, you should handle adversity differently than the world does. Verse 30, and the Lord will cause his voice of authority to be heard, and the descending of his arm to be seen in fierce anger, and in the flame of a consuming fire, and cloudbursts, downpour, and hailstones. For at the voice of the Lord, Assyria will be terrified when he strikes with the rod. Confusing stuff, but here's the deal. Near fulfillment, and a few years after Isaiah writes this, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, they surround Jerusalem. This is during... Hezekiah's reign, and you can read about that in 2 Kings 19. And we're actually going to cover it later in Isaiah 37. But that was a real thing that happens. Assyria surrounds Jerusalem, and then God sends an angel and he kills like 100 and, is it, 150 or 180,000 Assyrians in one night. And it's got one of my favorite verses in it. It says, and when they awoke, behold, they were dead. It's a great verse. Uh, but So that happens, but then the far fulfillment, Remember, early in this book, we talked about how whenever he refers to the Assyrian or Assyria, it's usually a reference to the Antichrist, to this evil leader that's going to come later. Verse 32 And every blow of the rod of punishment which the Lord will lay on him, this is wild, will be with music, uh, with the music of tambourines and lyres. And in battles, brandishing weapons, he will fight them. God's people. So if you're a believer, you're one of these, right? You you know that song, Oh, When the Saints Come Marching In? I want to be in that number when the saints come marching in. We get to march into battle with the Lord, but he does all the fighting. Isaiah tells us, and later we see this in Jeremiah, our job is we're just going to be playing the soundtrack while Jesus kicks butt and takes names. I don't know what song it is. We Will Rock You, maybe? Or... Highway to hell? I don't know. (laughs) Whatever it is, we we play music while he does his thing. Verse 33. For Tophet has long been ready. Indeed, it has been prepared for the king. He has made it deep and large, a pyre of fire with plenty of wood. The breath of the Lord, like a torrent of brimstone, sets it afire. Okay. Tophet. This word, it means the place of the pounding drum. Tophet is a, a specific location, just on the edge of the city of Jerusalem, in the valley of Hinnom, which later became Gehinnom, then Gehenna. It's where the king, some wicked kings like Ahaz fell for the advice of the world. And sacrifice children to Moloch in order to ensure their prosperity. And we've talked about Moloch worship quite a bit in this study. But remember, it's they build a brazen altar, like a, a metal statue with arms out. Heat the thing up red hot. And then you put your baby on this thing and it burns alive. But it's okay because uh, Moloch would make sure you had a good harvest. And then your next baby would, would be that same baby. Like he would just send them back to you. That was the idea. But what they would do is they would play these pounding drums, this tophet, to cover the screams of the children while they did this. And Jesus talked about Gehenna in the New Testament as you know the lake of fire, outer darkness. It, it was an illustration he used of this is something like what hell is like. Matthew 25, 41, he said, Uh, Then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for who? For the devil and his angels. The only way you can get to hell is by just stepping over the blood of Jesus. Jesus said, I, you will have to get there over my dead body. But if you want to go, if you want to not trust me. That's your choice. We'll read that verse 33 again, just the first part of it. It says, For Tophet has long been ready. Indeed, it has been prepared for the king. Right? For the king of this world. So, we'll run a little bit long. How can we sum this up? We're going to be playing the, the beat, the background, the, the soundtrack to... The return of Christ. So what beat are you marching to? Are you marching to the, the beat of the world? Like what happens at Tophet? Or the beat of the gospel? Because that will feel a little out of time with the world. Just a little bit different. But if, you're, if you just be still and chill... You'll find yourself in the middle of His will. That I did not mean for that to rhyme like that did. <laughs> now it's way. That'll be the 15% that you remember, probably. We'll read, read this verse again. Isaiah 30, verse 15. In repentance and rest, you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. The world is noisy. Be still. Listen for this the small still voice in the middle of the noise, and that's where you'll find your strength. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you again for um, preserving your word for us. We thank you that you you love us as your children, and like children, we uh, sometimes don't do what it is we're supposed to. Uh, we just pray, Lord, that uh, you would Uh, You would just help us to, to hear your voice more clearly, to follow it. And we pray, Lord, that you come and come quickly. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Ready? Break. All right.